Friends, I hope that you have heard uh, what is coming next week. Next Sunday here at Alamo Heights United Methodist Church, we will be having our first official membership Sunday. Our hope is that for those of you that have been visiting with us, whether it's been uh, for years or those of you that are brand new to our church, that we want to give you an opportunity to come step forward and become a member of this church. We know that sometimes it can be a little bit awkward, a little uncomfortable to come stand in front of a lot of people with the bright lights on you. And so we're kind of hoping that as... uh, multiple people come forward, that you might have your nervousness alleviated a little bit, that there might be some solidarity in numbers as you come forward. I do know at least a few people that intend to join next week. So if you would like to pray about and consider becoming a member of this church here at Alamo Heights United Methodist Church, know that if you decide to do that next week, you won't be doing it alone. And you know, I've really been looking forward uh, to this membership Sunday. I'm excited about where we are here at this church, and I've been wondering about what the best way to invite all of you to become members, or for those of you that are already members, how to invite you to participate more fully in the life and the grace of this community. And so naturally, the first thing that popped into my head was let's talk about church discipline. Right? Let's talk about how we point out the fault in one another. We'll get that one passage in Matthew that tells us how to correct somebody else's behavior, maybe even how to escort them out of the community. That sounds good, right? It's actually just a happy accident that we find ourselves where we are. Here in this service, we've been following the lectionary through Matthew's gospel. And as we've been doing so, we've been talking about discipleship. My friend John asked me the other day after, I think it was the sermon on the Canaanite woman, if I was just choosing to preach on all of the hard passages. And I said, unfortunately not. We're just here by accident. And so this week and next week, we happen to be in what is called, or what is Matthew 18. You'll recall that Matthew's gospel is structured around five main teachings of Jesus. I know that you've heard me say this before, and you'll probably hear me say it again, but my friend Chris Estes tells me that repetition brings enlightenment. So I'll try to repeat myself a bunch. Matthew really wants us to see Jesus in the light of Moses. Moses set the people free from enslavement. And he led the people of God out into the desert wilderness. And in that desert wilderness for 40 years, the people of God learned what it was to be the community of God, to be free and to be in relationship with one another. And so Matthew sees Jesus as fulfilling this same role that Moses did. Matthew tells Jesus' story in such a way that we see in Jesus a new Moses figure. Jesus, like Moses, leads the people of God out of their enslavement and teaches them what it means to be a community of God. One of the ways that Matthew does this in this book is by building this gospel around these five major teachings. Like Moses, who gave us the five books of Torah, Jesus gives us these five primary teachings. And for these two weeks, today and next week on our membership Sunday, we happen to be in the fourth of the five discourses. And this discourse 
happily, is often called the community discourse. A life of discipleship is a life that is lived in community. Even if you are not an official member of a church, we are all still part of the body of Christ if we are followers of Christ. Discipleship is by its very nature relational. You can't be a student. You can't be a disciple without having a teacher, without having a rabbi to follow. And as you can see, we are surrounded by disciples, those that we love and those that we have to try to love a little bit harder because we all know that a life in community is a life that gives us ample room to hurt one another. I think we probably all have a pretty good idea of how these verses that we've read today are often used. Unfortunately, we see in the news and in documentaries recently very often how these verses have informed the church as we've dealt with different church scandals. These verses are typically understood to establish some sort of process, a way that we can correct each other's behavior, and we often give somebody an authority, the authority over us to do these things, and if the behavior doesn't change, we often cast people out of the community. Several years ago, uh, I listened to a sermon. There was a prominent Christian author and pastor, and he had quite a good following online. He was a really good speaker, so I tried to listen to his sermons every once in a while. And when this pastor decided to preach on these verses from Matthew 18, this pastor brought with him a real-life object lesson. This pastor explained that several months before this Sunday, one of his congregants, one of his parishioners, came to him seeking guidance. This man was having issues in his marriage. His wife was an addict, and her addiction was naturally wreaking havoc on the world around her. She was blowing money. She was at risk of losing her job. She was endangering herself and others, and she was destroying her relationships with her husband, with her kids, with her family and friends. I think that we can all agree that this kind of struggle, that this kind of pain that's caused by this kind of thing is something that needs to be addressed. That the husband is fully in his right to look for ways to help her see the reality of what, is, is, what it is that's happening around her, to help her to see that she needs help. And so the husband did all of this. The husband talked to the wife. He told this pastor that he'd been telling her for years that she needed to quit drinking. And when that didn't work, this husband gathered her family, gathered her friends, gathered her loved ones around her and uh, did an intervention, hoping that this woman, hearing messages of love and grace from the people around her, would decide to change. But addiction is rough. And the woman had not yet hit her bottom, and unfortunately, she still didn't quit. And so the pastor is kind of running out, or not the pastor, the man, is kind of running out of options, doesn't know exactly what to do next. And so the, pa the man goes to his pastor trying to get some guidance. This pastor met with this woman a few times, 
and said that he worded his messages to her very strongly to tell her that her behavior was unacceptable and that she needed to quit her sinfulness. And the woman still couldn't do it. And so on this Sunday morning, this message that I heard, this pastor got up in front of his church and he read these verses from Matthew 18 and he proceeded to tell his entire church about this woman's issues. He told about all of the things that she had been doing. And he said that her husband had followed the directions of these verses, that her husband had confronted her one-on-one, that her husband had brought witnesses to confront her, and that her husband had finally brought the issue to the church represented by this pastor. And now, because this woman could not quit drinking, this church was to call this woman a Gentile and a tax collector, and she was not to return. It's rather horrifying for me. I remember thinking that it didn't even sound like this was the kind of guidance, this was the kind of support that the husband was even looking for in the first place. This pastor took the authority that he had and misused it. This man, this man, this man kicked this woman out of a church. She was struggling with a real disease. She was in a position of vulnerability and she was in need of grace. She was in need of community and this pastor completely cut her off from the opportunity for that. I don't think that this is a responsible use of this passage. I think that if we dig a little bit deeper into this chapter that we'll find something a little bit different. We keep finding as we explore challenging passages, as we explore harsh words, even from Jesus, we keep finding something different. We keep finding grace. And so my hope is that if we dig a little bit deeper here, that we find some grace here as well. So first, I want to talk a little bit about what comes before this passage, how chapter 18 opens, how this community discourse begins. What comes right before this passage is a simple little parable. Jesus says to his disciples, what do you think? If someone had 100 sheep and one of them wandered off, wouldn't he leave the 99 on the hillsides and go and search for that one who wandered off? And if he finds it, I assure you that he is happier having that one than about the 99 who didn't wander off. In the same way, my father who is in heaven doesn't want to lose one of these little ones. This chapter begins with the discussion. The disciples ask, who has status? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus explains that this kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, is a little bit upside down. It's not those that you would traditionally think have status that have status in this kingdom. In this kingdom, it's the children. It's the little ones. It's the ones on the margins. It's the sick. It's the ones that need help that are the ones that need to be listened to, the ones that need to be honored, the ones that need to be protected, the ones that need to be pursued. And in verse 15 of our passage this morning, as we begin, Jesus echoes all that he's already said in this chapter. 
If you caught it, he said, if that brother or sister listens to you, then you have regained, you have won your sibling back. The whole point of this passage, the whole point of this first part of the chapter on the community discourse is about restoring relationship. This is Jesus explaining to his disciples, explaining to those that would go forth to build a church, one of the many ways that they might pursue a sheep that has gone astray. And speaking of the church, this word church is actually a little interesting when we're talking about the Gospels. Matthew is the only gospel writer that actually uses the word church. It's Greek, in Greek, it's ekklesia. Matthew is the only one that uses it. Mark, John, Luke don't use this word. And Matthew only uses it twice. Does anyone remember the other passage in which we said the word church? We actually talked about it just a couple weeks ago. You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And in that passage where Jesus used this word, this ecclesia, he said something that we heard again this morning. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus repeats it again in our passage this morning, just a couple chapters after that first chapter where he used it, again discussing this ecclesia, this church. We here today may not be familiar what, with what these words mean, what binding and loosing really is. But these are phrases that Jesus' audience would have known well. These are rabbinic phrases. They're phrases that come from the culture that Jesus lived within. For that culture, binding and loosing meant to interpret the scriptures for the present day community, working out what faith and text mean for the people today living in the world that they live in. The rabbis understood, as we do today, that even understanding the Bible itself is a relational matter, that God invites us into a conversation with God and with one another, with our community and with the Bible as we try to discern what it means for us living in this world. Here in the United Methodist Church, we call this our theological task, and there's an entire chapter in what we call the Book of Discipline about this. It says that we engage the Bible that we interpret the Bible through the Spirit and in community, allowing our understanding of the Scripture to change as we realize what good news this world around us needs. Our participation in this task, our participation in binding and loosing is then honored in heaven, says Jesus. That as we bind and as we loose, that God in heaven honors what we bind and loose. And this task is given to us by Jesus in a passage that is talking about community restoration. In this chapter in Matthew's gospel, and particularly in these verses that we read today, Jesus encourages his followers to maintain the integrity of the church. And he doesn't encourage them to do it by blind following of the rules. Jesus encourages his church to maintain integrity by maintaining their relationships. Harmful behavior, it's going to happen, and it needs to be addressed. Healthy boundaries need to be set when somebody is harming another. And as we've said over and over again, when we fail to love, we do real harm to one another and to this world that God has given us. So yes, we have to address sin. 
But the end goal of addressing sin is not to cut somebody out of our community. The end goal in these confrontations is restoration. The end goal is reconciliation. I know what the text says. If the offender refuses to listen to the church, let some, such a one be to you a Gentile or a tax collector. Let them be to you an outsider. But we've talked about Gentiles. And we've talked about a tax collector. When Jesus met a Roman centurion, he welcomed the Roman centurion into a conversation and he healed that centurion's servant. And when Jesus met a Canaanite woman, he welcomed that Canaanite woman into a conversation and he healed her daughter. And when Jesus met a tax collector on the road, he said to that tax collector, follow me. The very words that we read this morning were written by that tax collector. This passage is not a call for the community to bind a person from the community. It's a call to loose grace, to release peace, to release shalom to those that desperately need it. It's a call to name what is ours as ours and what is ours is each other. The scripture is a call for members of this community to do all that we can to welcome one another even when we disagree and especially when we're not getting along. When we hurt each other, and it's definitely a win, when we hurt each other, hopefully we recognize that we are bound to one another. This church of Jesus, this church that his disciples built is a church that is divined by love and by hope, a church defined by welcome and hospitality and defined by communal grace. My invitation to each of you this week as you go forth from this place is to pray about and to consider what it means to be a member of this very community. If you're already a member here, how do you participate more fully in the grace that this church offers? And if you're not a member, consider whether or not you want to be a member of this place. This is an invitation to all of you that gather here. This is an invitation even for those of you that gather online. We want to welcome you into this community. God knows that this is not a perfect place. We do our part in disturbing shalom. But God also knows that this is a church that has offered grace to those that have been astray. I know this because I am one of them that has received grace here from this community and in this place. Our passage closes with some words that we're probably very familiar with. Whether it's on a Sunday morning or a Bible study or even a family mealtime prayer, we often hear these words where two or three are gathered there I am. I do absolutely believe that the Christ is present in all of our gatherings. But I do think it's a little strange that we rip those words out of the context they're used. 
These words are not just about these peaceful moments on Sunday mornings or in our Sunday schools and around a table. These prayers, these words are used within the context of a confrontation. They're used within the context of restoration and reconciliation. Where two or three are gathered for the work of restoration, where two or three are gathered for the hard work of forgiving one another when we're hurt, this is where Jesus' presence is. This church is a church seeking reconciliation. And this is where Jesus is present. And so may we be a community that gathers for this difficult work of reconciliation. May we be a community that has the courage to name our pain, but that also has the courage to know that when we are confronted because we are the cause of such pain, that we might allow ourselves to be restored. May we be the sheep that has been pursued and may we pursue, pursue those that we risk losing. In the name of the triune God who lives in eternal relationship with us and with this entire world. Amen.